I'm Gab, he's Jules, drizzly and yucky in West London. Welcome back, though. Hey, I'm back. Nice. Back from my travels in Africa. Big shout out to uh, Tanzania. Highly recommend if you like looking at animals and the like. Uh, But anyway, enough about me because there's so much about the Champions League is back. Liverpool and City in action. Um, But I want to start with Porto and Arsenal because I know you love Techers. I'm just going to start from the goal, right? Then we discuss the game and everything and... It's nail-nail. It's a fourth minute of injury time. Galeno, who I thought missed, had this incredible sequence in the first half where he hit the post and somehow missed the rebound, which the more you look at it, it's probably more difficult than it oh, appears. The rebound for sure, yeah. Uh, but then he whips out this incredible shot from... Yeah, lovely shot for the only goal of the game, of course. Martinelli should have never lost the ball and give the ball away like he did. I think that David Raya is far too advanced of his Thank line. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. But take nothing away from the curve and the way that Galeno hit the ball. I think that was a that was a savable shot, though, to be honest. To for be, a good goalkeeper, for a very good goalkeeper. Well, certainly, yes, uh, for a guy uh, so, maybe just a good goalkeeper. Yeah, certainly not a keeper yes. that is so advanced off his line, for sure. But take nothing away from Porto because they had a game plan that worked really, really well. They frustrated Arsenal. They take away every all rhythm and tempo in the game, which then makes life difficult for Arsenal to produce anything. And Porto played and almost forced Arsenal to play their game, the Porto game, not the Arsenal game. And it worked really well. So they deserved their win. Well done to them. Sergio Conceição said before the game, Arsenal have a lot of quality, but we've got quality too. And they haven't played a team like us before in this competition this year. Yeah. Which... I, I thought, you know, again, I don't want to be one of those guys who goes on about sort of defensive master classes and the importance of tactics and whatever. But Porto, I thought they denied Arsenal. They made Arsenal look like they had zero ideas. And yeah. I think some of that is actually on Arteta. I was in two minds about this. I, had, I debated this with a, with a good friend who's an Arsenal fan. And he was saying things like well why not change it up earlier right first change minute 74 Jorginho comes on only change it right as the only change in the game and I said logically yeah you can tell your lineup's not working right you're not creating anything change it up but then I remembered this is the first half of a 180 minute game and maybe that's what even though it seems to me it's counter to Arteta's nature Maybe that's a little bit what he was thinking. Maybe I'm giving Arteta the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe he's saying, you know what? So what? If it's a drab nil-nil draw, draw exactly. whatever. Yeah, I think he would have been we'll happy stuff with the draw. Doesn't matter. We don't score the away goals. There's no away goal rule anymore. Yeah. Let's yeah go. Is that what he was thinking? Yeah, 100%. I, I know it's not a good game from his team. It's not a good game in general. There's 36 fouls in that game. The, the ball in play was 15 minutes. 5-0 out of 94 effective minutes in the game. Only 50 of those 94, the ball was actually in play. It's just not, it was just not working for Arsenal. You take the nil-nil draw, and that's why I think he, Arteta, can be frustrated with Martinelli and the, the, the terrible pass that he tries before the Galeno goal, even if then there's a long way for Galeno to score. Still, that's not a pass that you should do. And maybe the lack of experience from this Arsenal team in the Champions League, I mean, because, okay, Zinchenko and Gabriel were not there. Kai Havertz had played in Champions League before and even won it and scored in the final. But Pep had more Champions League appearances by far than all of the starting 11 from Arsenal combined. And I think at some point, maybe that also played because to deal with the frustration, to not make mistakes like Martinelli did or Raya did even, I think experience is, is quite important. Okay, yes, Pep, because he's very old, he's got more, he played for Real Madrid, he's got more appearances. But let's be very clear on this. 
Uh, and I say this to, to praise Porto. Both teams are third in their respective leagues, but of course one plays in the Premier League yeah. and is at the time, well, but until Liverpool, you know, if you exclude Liverpool's game in hand or extra game, they were two points off the top yeah. and they've got an enormous budget and they spent huge over the summer. Porto are a team that have sole players. They're a team that's not having a great season. They're third yeah. in, in Portugal. I think they're seven or eight points uh, off the top. Uh, they had big absentees, big injuries. Evan Nielsen's, I know he scored, he scored the, what, like three goals in one game in the group stage or whatever, yeah. but you know, certainly with Taremi, it's a different story. He had fewer options. He had the Chuck Otavio in there. Um, they find players and they get the players to execute. And I love seeing this happen because these are guys who come in, do a job and execute and show that the gap isn't the same gap. It's not like the guy at Arsenal who makes 10 times what the guy at Porto makes. He's not 10 times better. And yeah, what's, what's your, what's your I love that. I yeah, love that reminder. Good. I love the idea. Team. They're a good team. Still, it's not because they're, they're a good not team. They're great. third. They're third. It they're way matter. back. They're out of the title race. It doesn't matter. It's not because you're not good in your league that you're not a good team. It can happen. They've been poor against smaller teams this season. When it's down to good teams, they've been actually decent. They were good in the group stages too. Jules, you talked about the fact that it was a very broken up game, mm. a lot of fouls. By the way, when you say 36 fouls, I always feel the need to go and say this provide a bit of context because I don't know how much the average viewer think knows or listener knows what is the average number of fouls in a Champions League game. It's around 20. This is the highest in every yeah. Champions League given this season. I, I would have thought. It is generally between 20, 22, something yeah. like that, right? So just for context, there are this a lot more a lot. stoppages, mm -hmm. a lot more interruptions. Um, but one of those, Declan Rice got booked after two minutes. And my Arsenal supporting friend, yeah. viewing it through his gooner glasses, talked about how that booking changed everything for Declan Rice and it made him less effective. I don't necessarily agree with yeah. that, but did it? I don't know. I, I didn't think he had a bad game after that. I just think that when you start the game and straight in, it's a, it's a terrible pass from Ben White, I think it is. Habit, um, Rice is not even looking... At the ball, it's just, and you know this is not going to be your night. I think it's pretty obvious. I think there was quite a lot of nerves at the start of this game um, from an Arsenal point of view. And I don't know if it's a case of experience or no experience or what. It's just I think it looked like they were a bit nervous. And, and that yellow card just didn't, didn't bring any more serenity. I think it probably added to the nerves and to the fact that, oh, wow, OK, here we go. It's, it's a terrible start. One of your key players in a key position to get booked like that after one minute not just to the fact that he, he would have to think about it all through the game, but I think he's good enough to do that anyway. It's just, I think, it's a, it, you, you get a sense that it's not, the night is not going to be good. And to be fair, he wasn't good for them. Zero shot on target. I mean, come on. Um, I want to I wanna show a little bit more love to, to Porto here because, look, it's, it's, it's two ways. We can talk about how Arsenal and Arteta approached it. But... I thought, you know, you're up against Martinelli and Saka. You've got Pepe, who's, who's 41. Um, your fullbacks, okay, Jean Mario's quick, but on the other side, not so quick. Um, and yet, I thought they took the Arsenal pace factor entirely out of the game. And they didn't just do it by defending deep. They did it by, I thought, doing a very effective job of cutting off, cutting off the supply so that... Rarely did they, the Martinelli and Saka receive the ball in stride, and when they did, 
you know, again, as you said, they didn't have, they had a very quiet night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was just no, like I said before, just but, but that, that's preparation. Because they still talked about before how they had super long video sessions and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, this is what Porto do against a, a better team than them. This is what they, they take away every kind of rhythm or tempo in a game because that suits them and certainly doesn't suit Arsenal. I mean, I looked at the stats this morning again. In the whole 90 minutes, Arsenal completed six like deep passes. So they, they could not even find each other in the final third of the game. They, uh, three of them are Saka, by the way, so on that right-hand side, and three for the rest of the team. So if that part of Arsenal game is not on, then nothing, nothing is working, and it's only down to set pieces, and that's where they were the most threatening, really. Only set pieces, because nothing else in their usual game, from Odegaard to Saka, Martinelli, Harvest positioning, Trossard, all of that, just was not on, because of the way Porto defended, the structure of Porto's defence, the way they were doubling up, very cleverly on Saka and Martinelli, the wide players. I mean, Concesao, apart from being the son of the coach, did so much, such a great job defensively to head to Mario on Martinelli. I mean, the guy could not stop running. It's, it's impressive. And Galeno has that in him. So, well done to Porto in the way they just nullified completely every Arsenal kind of asset and, and patterns of play in a way by how brilliantly they defended. Um... I want to talk about how this... Well, actually, no, before that. I talked about the Arteta benefit of the doubt thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like this lineup. I, I don't. I think against teams that... I don't want to say park the bus, because Porto did more than that. But teams that are clearly out to defend and frustrate when you're not having any joy finding combinations, getting clear-cut shots. I think that is a situation where it makes sense to have Georgie in there. Um, from the start. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a game where it makes sense to play Havertz at centre forward. He's done it before. Just to have that greater physical presence. I know Trossard did really well in the two games and he scored a ton of goals, but those, those are against different opponents in different contexts. Yeah. And it's just not happening for you that night because Porto aren't going to open up in the same way. So, part of me says, okay, Arteta got that wrong. Part of me also thinks, maybe Arteta did this intentionally, because, as I said earlier, he's viewing this over 180 yeah, maybe, minutes. Yeah, And nil-nil at halftime is a fine result. Is, or well, full-time would have been, right? Is a good result. Is yeah. Arteta that kind of person? Yeah, I think so. And after he the becomes, game... He's, he's added this level of pragmatism or whatever, in your opinion. Yeah, I think so. Oh, certainly he's getting there, I feel. After the game, he said, we need to prepare better. And maybe he felt like they didn't prepare this game enough in the sense, okay, the plan A is the same team that obviously destroyed Burnley and West Ham, which they are not at the level of Porto. Even a Porto side, as we said, that is not very good in the league, is still better than West Ham and Burnley. But you keep the same starting eleven because you've just scored 11 goals in two league games and you think we can go away to Porto and if we score, if we take the lead, then we can always change, bring Jorginho on. So I, I can also understand why he thought about that, but maybe the fact that he said we had... We should have prepared better in a way and we will prepare the second leg better. Maybe shows that maybe himself was a bit disappointed by what they did tactically, that starting lineup. And maybe then if we think that the starting lineup was the right one, maybe he should have brought on Jorginho earlier and moved Havertz as a nine before what he did in the 72nd minute, I think it was, or something. Um, I want to turn around to the return leg. Uh, we were talking off air. You said that, uh, you know, uh, on the FC show last night, people are saying, oh, Arsenal heavy favorites, 80%. Yeah, Frank Lebeuf, that was. I mean, 80-20. Are you going to diss the World Cup winner's opinion? Oh, no, it's not. I'm not going to diss. I said, I said it was wrong yesterday. I said, <laughs> uh, 
55-45 Arsenal because I, I just I really believe that Porto can go to the Emirates and do the same job play the same way and again try to nullify them and basically it's pretty simple how you can if you're an Arsenal team like last night and nothing is working for you with the ball because the other team defends well maybe you're not in your best form or you know I don't know all of that they set pieces or there's just something brilliant from one individual that break the deadlock and something happens from Odegaard Martinez like I wish was never no, no even near happening yesterday the set pieces I thought Gabriel Adian and Nilne before the Galeno goal could have scored the header on the right free kick I think there might have been a foul on the play as well that would have been called oh, okay maybe Not I still think the ball went over the, uh, right. the bar I think he should have at least on target and stuff so set pieces they were good and threatening the rest not and for, the, for me the second leg would be exactly the same if, if none of those leaders and big stars can find a way, either individually, if the collective is not working, because I think Porto will do exactly the same, then they will rely on set pieces. So I don't think it's a given at all that Arsenal can turn around this tie and qualify. I think they are still favourite because it's at the Emirates and because they are really good. But I think that first leg showed what the limitations could be against a team like Porto, who understands and performs defensive duties so, so well. Um, let me ask you this, just, just as an aside. If something happens and Arsenal do go out and there's only one Premier League team left in the competition, yeah. assuming Man City advance, would it, is there a broader message, broader conclusion that people might draw about the Premier League and the relative strength? Yeah, or is maybe. it just that well, you had United and Newcastle in there as two of your four who, you know, maybe this was a step too far for them? Yeah, maybe. I do think that after just one season like this, you can't... I don't think you can just draw... Well, it's not just one judgment. season, because it wasn't great last year either for Premier League teams in Europe. Yeah, no. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe. And I guess, at least for now, it will shush people saying, well, we already have the Super League, that's the Premier League, which is which no <laughs> sense whatsoever. And I think this season in Champions League is showing it. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, quickly on Arsenal and the Premier League title race. Obviously, they're right up there. This is a very young team. This is an inexperienced manager still, yeah, Arteta. Yeah. <laughs> um, most people logically have them as third favorites in in the title running. How do you see them on, on the learning curve? Um, in the sense that I, I'm actually slightly bullish. I don't like some of these lines, but even when he's been successful. Yeah. Like I always kind of tell, like, well, if you had it, I know you don't have a choice because people are injured or whatever. But... Now you've got Gabriel Jesus very close to coming back. Yeah. Thomas Partey, I think he's already training with his teammates. Yeah, yeah. Tomoyasu is another one. Yeah, Zinchenko. Right. Zinchenko, mm. Fabio Vieira, who's you know I'm not a big fan of, but whatever. He was even on the bench yeah, last he night. Yeah, was on the bench. Yeah. Um, so part of me says, okay, now you've got more rotation options. Although, I mean, you might not need them. But do you see any of those guys coming back into the lineup on a? On a pretty stable basis. Yeah, I mean, I mean I Zinchenko, think, obviously. Yeah, yeah, right? Zinchenko, even Tomiasu for Kivio, who has been playing. Well, they the can't both position. play for. They can't both play for Kivio. No, one of them. I mean, right. You know, if Zinchenko is not available, I think Tomiasu probably will still provide more than Kivio. Although Kivio has done well in a slightly different right. role. If Ben White plays like last night, I'm having Tomiasu for Ben White on the right. Yeah, it was not. Yeah. It was not good. It was not good. But he's been. He's been good in the in the, the five games that they had in the league. Um, yeah, but I think it's not even so much who's going to play, who's not going to play. He's, he's just having 
all the squad being there for different options coming off the bench even during a game rotation of course we saw last season that they also struggled a little bit when Saliba not just Saliba was uh, injured but when they had some of those injuries in the second part of the season so to try to avoid that would be a really good thing whether that's enough to go and win the title I don't know. I think they will be there until the end with Liverpool and City. I think this is going to be tight. The fact that Liverpool and City play each other, even before Arsenal go to City, I think could be key because if they can t- take advantage of that game and get points on either over both Liverpool and City or, or, or the losers of that tie, that game would be really good. So yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'm, I, I think they have no issues at all, the players and Arteta, by being third favourite. I don't think... It's a, it's a problem for them at all. The pressure is maybe on the others. And this time you're the hunter instead of being the hunted like last season. And I wonder if that suits them even more than being the hunted. I think one of the main differences with last season was that last season they had this incredible run where I think until February, he basically played the same 11 all the time. Yeah, right? pretty much, yeah. Um, which this season, for different reasons, he hasn't done to do. I think he'll, he has more options. I still look at the center back situation and I don't want to jinx anybody. Mm-hmm. But we agree, I think, if there's one person who, for at least for me, my view, one person who cannot get injured between now and the end of the season, one person who is more important than even than Saka or Udegaard or whatever, because they, you have other people who can do that to, to a not same standard, but a comparable standard, yeah. it's William Saliba. Yeah, I agree. Because the drop off between Saliba yeah. and is, is enormous. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Best defender in the Premier League this season for me. And yeah. You said it was Konate last time. Now you say what? Saliba. Nah, I never said Konate. They're both my boys, but no, Saliba has been absolutely and you're right, it would be it would be a disaster. Alright, enough Porto. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gab. Finishes 1-1 between Napoli and Barcelona in a battle of Diego Armando Maradona's former clubs oh. at the stadium named after him. Yeah. Both of whom, of course, have fallen on hard times, but Barca's hard times look substantially better than Napoli's hard times, yeah? Yeah, especially in the first half. I thought they, they were good at times. Barcelona, they played some good football. I like Lewandowski goal, not just for the nutmeg on the Pedri's pass and on his finishing as well, but I like his first touch. And I said it after the Celta Vigo game, we already, I thought his goal was the first one, not the penalty. It was really well taken. The combo, first touch finish, the way he does it, of course, he's not as good as he used to be. But in those situations, it's still, it's still amazing. And, and I thought they, they deserved their lead and I think they were good. And the second half, though, it was better from Napoli. Although I would never understand Inigo Martinez's decision to try to get in front of Oziman. And whether there's a foul from Oziman or not, okay, I, no, I really not even could not weather. care less. There is no foul. Like, don't you, you go don't in. be a baby. Don't you're 35 years in. old. But it doesn't matter. Don't dive in. Don't dive in. You're, you're far better than that. This is like a Sunday morning pub. He's an absolute tool, that guy. It's I honestly, I do not. He's my, he's my second least favorite Barcelona defender. Really? Yes. I know who's the favorite one. Sticking with Napoli, Gab, you must have been delighted while you were aware that the master of disaster, Walter Mazzari, is gone and sacked. But what do you make of Francesco Ciccio Calzona, who replaced him and was on the bench for his first, obviously, game last night? I think it was his first game ever as a club manager in a professional game. Um, Look, I bear no... You know what? Actually, I was going to say, like, oh, I bear no ill will towards Mazzari. Actually, yeah. 
uh, I'm glad he's gone. I think decisions have consequences. And also you've vindicated because you've said from the beginning it was well, he's completely the wrong person at the wrong time. I yeah. don't know if De Laurentiis is superstitious or whatever. But look, who does he replace him with? Another, frankly, really, really odd choice. So <laughs> Francesco Calzone, other than the fact that his name kind of sounds, sounds like trousers in Italian. Also, so in, Na- in Naples, obviously, if your name Calzone, that job is made for you, considering, you know, pizza, all of that. Calzone, I hadn't even thought of yeah, that. There you go, or Calzone, as yeah, people call it yeah. on the East Coast. Anyway, um, so this guy, he's a guy who coached in the lower, the lower levels. He was an assistant coach to Maurizio Sarri when Sarri was there, but then didn't follow Sarri on to Chelsea. Kind of did his own thing. So he already knows Naples a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then weirdly, in I think it was October of 2022, Slovakia, who are totally falling apart, their qualification process for the Euros weren't going through, but they have Marek Hamsik, and, who used to play in Napoli, did remember, who remembered him. He says, hey, Calzona, do you want to come over and just coach us for the last couple of games? We can't really pay you much, but hey, <laughs> have a go. So they come in, they do really well, they qualify for the Euros, yeah. and now all of a sudden he's De Laurentiis' choice. He's going to share time between the Slovakia job, and look, it's not much of a job, they've qualified, just have a couple of yeah, friends, yeah, exactly. right? exactly. Um, but it's still such an odd situation. This it's guy who was so doing strange. no jobs is now doing two jobs. <laughs> and it's really odd to make the change on the eve of the game against Barcelona, even though I think at that point the stench of Mazzari has gotten so so big that, you know, De Laurentiis might have been like, all right, I might as well coach a team myself. I just want this dude out of here. So, um, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I, yeah, so I, you know, I talk about wanting to root for underdogs. This man's an underdog. Yeah. And at least he went back to, a back, to the 4-3-3 that you know, <laughs> yes. Napoli should play. No, and you know what? In, I, I was also, he showed personality too. He yeah. took off Kvaratskhelia, who was having a stinker. Yeah, and Osimhen. And then he took off, but what was really funny about Osimhen is, Osimhen was about to come off. Simeone was all ready to come on when Osimhen scored that goal. Most managers in that situation, when the guy's just scored, you figure, you know, they're a little superstitious. No, you leave him on. Not Calzone. He said, no, no, you were supposed to come off. Have your little celebration. Thank you, O.C. Now it's this guy's yeah. turn. So I, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, side me of too. It. Me too. Paisley, Eindhoven, and Borussia Dortmund also draw in their first leg. Uh, Jules, the big talking, talking point is that penalty Mats Hummels gave away. Yeah, I don't think I really didn't like that game. I won't lie. But clearly, the. the <laughs> you biggest, didn't like it because Peter Bosch's team was, just was mullering Borussia Dortmund. They had so many more chances. Yeah, I, I disagree. I thought this was a terrible game, terrible performance from both teams who are much better than what they showed. And. Really, the controversy, I still don't understand how this penalty... I mean, I can see why he was given by the referee. Once you have a look, you can clearly see that he touches the ball. Even if it's not much, there's still contact from Homers with the ball before contact with Homers and the player. And I don't understand why this was not overturned. So let, Or if you're not going to overturn it, let's just let the referee have another look and let the referee decide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I thought that was a big mistake. And... Let's see what happens in the second leg, but that could cost Dortmund a lot. Inter Milan beat up Atletico, but can only score a single goal. Gab, will this come back to home then? I fear it might. I fear it might because it's Atleti at home at the, at the Civitas Metropolitano. And so Inter were so much better than Atletico. They so, could have scored so five or six goals. Atleti, I was really, really disappointed. Yeah, me too. I didn't like the way he set up. I didn't like... I mean, some of these, these guys, you know you're playing against Turam and, 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 and Martinez, right? So... Why not go out and put some pace in the back rather than dealing with Jimenez and Witzel? You know, what's wrong with Reinildo, for example? Yeah, right? yeah. I, mean, I mean, he came on, but yeah, he didn't start. I didn't get that, but Inter missed so much. And Arnautovic. 
He's good in the end. So that saved his night. No, it doesn't save his night. But it does it save his night. It doesn't save his night. He could have you had missed. a hat-trick, but at least he scored one. No, he missed a hat-trick of, of chances. And you know, when the ball went to him, uh, when, when, on, on, the goal. on the counter for the goal, right? Well, first of all, it was obvious why he didn't get the pass because the guy's like, look, you're an Autovic. I'm not going to pass it to you. I think it was, uh, it was Lautaro, right? But then, so, so the ball deflects to him and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sure he's going to miss another one. Nah, it can't be. Even his finish, he puts the finish centrally. What are you doing? You have the whole goal to shoot at. It's his wrong foot. It's his left foot, you know. You're a professional Maybe. footballer. To be fair, Honestly. Lino... Lino could have cleared that ball. He went in because of the pace of yeah. the ball. So he still nearly screwed it up. Yeah, but he didn't. But he didn't. All right. So, yeah. All right. yeah, but uh, yeah, Inter, I think, will we'll have a lot of regrets. Let's just hope for them that Suram is not severely injured. That's the yeah, thing. Or, or that Griezmann is, because, you know, you take Griezmann. But Griezmann, Griezmann isn't. We know Griezmann isn't, but we don't know about the groin of Turam, so that could be a worry. All right, Jules, we're not done. More quick hits. Yes. Liverpool with seven starters missing come from behind to beat Luton Town 4-1 and extend their lead at the top. Obviously, City and Arsenal have a game in hand. Yeah. Jules, how big a deal is this? The, the, the fact that they found that reaction? Again, 22 points. They've won this season from losing position. It's more than anybody else, of course, in England. It's as much, it's as many points as... Any other club season at Liverpool and we still have 12 games to go. It's incredible that they keep doing that. Maybe it's a bit roaring that they concede goals like that early, early or first in the games, for sure. But as long as they react, even with all those players missing, they had seven starters. I think all, all in all, it was 12 players. If you can, like Thiago Alcantara and, you know, Bayetich well, and those kind of guys. But, but it's still yeah. 12 players. It's a lot. And yet you find a way, you, you put some youngsters on, it's good for the confidence of, I don't know, Elliot and Gakpo and Luis Diaz and those kind well, of guys. But that's what I like is the different people stepping up. You know, they're coming from behind. Like sometimes it's been Jota, sometimes. Yeah. Last night it was, it was Virgil van Dijk and then it was Gakpo showing this personality. I mean, I, I think if you're Klopp, you the like that. The only thing though, they would play, so they play the League Cup final on Sunday. Then they have the FA Cup in midweek, then they have the league again. So you can't catch a breath, which, no. you know, sometimes you'll have a whole week where you can rest, prepare, get your players fit. They don't have that. And I do worry at some point those injuries might just catch up with them. Bayern Munich have announced that Thomas Tuchel will leave the club only at the end of the season. Does this make sense to you, Gab? I think I know the answer anyway. <laughs> it makes zero sense. I, I, look, I wrote a whole column about this. I know that you're counterintuitive, uh, but but this is just stupid. And look, it's not stupid that they're said that they're sacking. So why did they do it to to stop all the questions about his future? Right? That's why they did it. That that's why they announced it like that. Well, who cares if there should be questions about his future because because he's eight points back in the league because they lost a lot so they lost three games on the spin because he's fallen out with a bunch of senior players right so it's mm. that's legitimate those questions will still be there it's not like when Joshua Kimmich rocks up the training and he says oh look I feel better about listening to Tuchel uh, because I know he's leaving at the end of the season, so I'll give him my all. It doesn't work that way. There's a reason why this never happened. Bayern have a knack. Four of Bayern's last five managers, right? Despite this is for a team that's won uh, 11 or 12 league titles in a row. Four of the last yeah, five were sacked during the season, yeah. which I think is not normal no. You know, on a team that's successful. But on top of that, to keep him around, you've completely undermined him. He's the, he's, he's, he's the lamest of lame ducks now. If people weren't didn't believe in Tuchel before... Right? As if some players didn't believe in him. On top of that, they show up and you know the club doesn't believe in him. So why are you even listening he to him? Leave. What? He, why, did, why doesn't he leave then? 
I, I, I don't know. Maybe he wants the, the payoff. I, I don't know. There's the, this, is, this is, I think, frankly humiliating. And you know what? You know what would be the greatest ending to this? If they win, if they come back, and they win the Bundesliga. And by the way, that's not crazy either. right? Bayern Munich I think is, they've given up on the title. Otherwise no, they probably have, managers. right? Otherwise, you change managers. Nothing, it's not going to improve with him. Okay, it's but, impossible. I, Bayer Leverkusen could, could, could tail off. Who knows, right? They're, they're on an incredible pace. But if they go back and they win the Champions League or they win the Bundesliga... And then Tuchel walks out. How stupid will they look? This just really makes no sense. There's a reason why the only time coaches announce, oh, he's going to leave at the end of the season, is if it's a club situation where the guy's taking time off or if it's Sir Alex Ferguson retiring. And even then, that's, that's all kind of suboptimal. Somebody's done really, really well. Otherwise, it makes no sense whatsoever. They play, they play Leipzig at the weekend on Saturday. If, if they lose, I guarantee they sack him. Well, Four hey, defeats in a row. That's I, 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 I don't know. It's just not even fair to him in these situations. And as you know, I'm one of his. In fact, back when we did, we had Jan on, and yeah. I said, and I said, I'll be the judge. None of you guys wanted to be prosecution. You guys all wanted to defend little Tommy. Well, you know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Early Holland scores the only goal at Manchester City. Beat Brentford one 0 Jules City were the better side. Yeah. You got a bit lucky with that Christopher Ayer uh, slip. Uh, yeah, a they? bit. It's a little bit like when Steven Gerrard fell over. Could that de- determine the title? I don't know if it will determine the title, but yeah, they got a bit lucky. Although they still had more chances, for them could have scored at the end. I don't know why he decided to try to go around the keeper, uh, and that didn't work. But yeah, I think you need a bit of luck. There was no KDB because. I think his hamstring is still troubling him a little bit. There were some decisions that Pep made that I, don't know, I was not too keen on. But in the end, all they care about right now and for the remaining 13 yeah. games of the season is just to take They could have scored three or four even with all those factors that you're chucking in there. Yeah, I, yeah, but, I, yeah, I but they, they, yeah, but they didn't. So it was not that great. Jim Ratcliffe, or Sir Jim Ratcliffe, gave his first interview as a Manchester United co-owner, Gav, and said that it was absurd that Newcastle won £20 million for sporting director Dan Ashworth, who could then end up on gardening leave. What do you make of all this? Because we haven't had you, you were aware when we started talking a lot about Dan Ashworth with Stroh Robson and Don Hutchinson. Where, where do you stand first on the fact that he seems he's the one that they want? And then secondly... That they... The Newcastle want to be comfortable. Yeah. First of all, uh, I'll take the second one first, if I may. Newcastle have every right to do this. They signed a contract with them. Two more years. They're, they're defending one of their assets. They have every right to, to keep a hard line, to demand whatever they want, and to make him sit out and have gardening league. Other clubs do, other clubs do this too, right? Yeah. Uh, so Newcastle are 100% within their rights to go and do this and to go and say like oh but Pep Guardiola doesn't keep players who don't want to keep their like as Jim Ratcliffe says he's being disingenuous you're a businessman you know that it's business Newcastle have every right to do this whether he's the right guy he's certainly a guy who's gotten a ton of praise he gets a lot of good press I think part of it is because it's deserved but I think also you want to really evaluate Uh, this is the same guy who you know when he was with England he appointed A.D. Boothroyd and yeah. for, for the under-21s. And he, he, he did a great job. England are really good now. Became good while he was there. But I want to ask him, like, dude, what were you thinking with That's this A.D. Boothroyd, choice, right? Yeah. Because it's just, a, it's not, whether you think he's good or bad, it's a style of football. It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So you'd want to look at stuff like that. You'd want to look at his, you know, his appointment of Sam Allardyce with England. You just ask him, was it your choice or was it somebody else's? Well, what do you see football-wise? Mm. But beyond that, I mean, what he did at Brighton, I think, speaks for itself. More United. Luke Shaw is out for the rest of the season and possibly the Euros too. Jules, how big a blow is this? Yeah, I think it's a massive blow for United, of course. Uh, that means probably Jogo Dalo playing at left back and Wan-Bissaka right back. It's for him as well. I mean, he can't, again, 
get a break with injuries. I think he's missed 200 games already since joining United almost 10 years ago through injuries between club and England. It's, it's, just, it's just really sad and that it looks very unlikely that he can be fit for the Euros. Radcliffe has also some interesting things to say, Gabby, about the government funding a new stadium for Manchester United. Yeah, it was interesting because he's kind of trying to play the regional card because he's from there. Yeah. And he says, well, people in the north play taxes, but, you know, London gets, you know, the, 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 they have Wembley Stadium and they have the National Rugby Stadium and they have the, the National Tennis Center, I think, or, or whatever. He, he talked about the Olympics, blah, blah, blah. People up north pay taxes, too. And I'm like, are, are you sending a message that the government should be paying for the refurbishment of Old Trafford. Um, I thought that was a bit curious. It sounds like, you know, you're playing to local pride. But then again, hey, that works. You know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this may make sense. And this isn't a political discussion about taxpayer money. But I think it shows you that this is his medal. And he's willing to push the envelope. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, what, he's, what he said, it, uh, there was a lot of things, I think, to unpack. He talked about Mason Greenwood as well, saying that they would make a decision at some point that he's a United player, which some people interpreted as a hint that he might stay at the club. I don't know. I don't know if you read it that way. I was. I mean, whichever way it does, United had their internal investigation. They came to the decision that they came to. They also have a fiduciary responsibility towards their shareholders. Yeah, I, I understand why he's able to review that because obviously that was done before he arrived. Right, but equally, he's going to I think they're going to look at what progress has Greenwood made. Do we feel differently about how we want to deal with him? He has a contract through 2025 and a one year, which they and there's a club option to extend it for a year, right? Yeah. He is a club asset as a player. So I think that was the road. That, that was the point he was trying to get across. It would be stupid for him to say, no, he'll never play for this club ever again. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's kind of a difficult... It's a trap question, basically. Yeah. yeah. He also um, said that Sir Dave Bracefield would be heavily involved, which, again, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. I'm not really sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, because at Nice, when Bracefield got involved, he did a lot of stupid things. And Radcliffe also said You didn't like the Aaron Ramsey deal? Right, and Peter Sch- and Joe Bryan. Remember Joe Bryan? No, yeah. nobody remembers Joe Bryan, but say... This former Fulham star, yeah, Joe exactly. Bryan. Bracefield signed him. Um, but Radcliffe also said yesterday that they made mistakes at Nice that they don't want to reproduce at United. So I'm hoping that at least they've learned from what they did wrong at right. Nice and not really again. Maybe one of the most interesting things, if you're a United fan as well, is what he said about the stadium. And, and, and we mentioned it a little bit there. He, I won't lie, I was a little bit lost because he said uh, having a brand new stadium for United would cost you £2 billion. If you want to refurbish or Trafford, it would cost you £1 billion and you can have a brand, a, a, a really nice 80,000, 90,000 seats, like the Wembley of the North. He loves that expression. <laughs> but I'm not sure if he said it's better to have the brand new one or refurbish or Trafford as it is because he said it's also difficult with Old Trafford. You're over the train line. So I, I, I was a little he, bit lost yeah. and I'm not sure in the end what he meant. He also said, oh, or maybe we could, maybe the government could just build a, or, or contribute or whatever. Maybe we could build a two, a £2 billion new stadium and then redevelop Old Trafford kind of on a smaller basis. And then the Manchester United women's team. Right. Because he's an older gentleman, he called it the Manchester United ladies team. Yeah. Um, uh, could play there, maybe youth teams, maybe other local teams. Kind of like, you know, Barcelona have the, the mini estadio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, look, 
I'm sure that United have a plan for this, and they've been through the plan. I don't think they want to reveal the plan. So he goes off and he talks about a million different possibilities because at this time they don't want to commit to anything. Yeah. Right? They don't want to reveal. They don't want to show Yeah, which hands, is fair right? enough. I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to believe that he came out and he said all these possibilities because he hadn't thought about it. Surely he has. And, by the way, the customary reminder, he's in control of the football side. The Glazers are in control of the money side. It takes money to run the football exactly. side. Exactly. So all these things... You know, the Glazers are loving it. Like, yeah, ah, you know what, Jim? Enjoy. Go and talk to them. <laughs> and, and we'll be making the decisions. <laughs> uh, not a great year for Uncle George's boys, Jules. No. Um, Reno Gattuso has been sacked as Marseille manager. But I'm kind of surprised by who is replacing him. And I really I mean, want to know, will you remember his name? Yeah, I will remember his name this time. So Gattuso sacked after five months. It was just not working anymore. One of the worst tenure in, for Marseille coaches in the history. I think it's 10 games now without a win. They lost at the weekend, which... Do you notice that his career has really nosedived since he signed with Uncle fate. George? Yeah, I mean, completely. Like, you're right. Some people... Uncle George is good for some people, clearly, like Nuno, who keeps getting jobs. Yeah. Uh, or... I mean, he was going to get others. his first job. Reno, remember? And then it didn't happen. The Fiorentina job, and then it didn't happen. And now Marseille, five months. To be fair, I don't think it was all on him. I think the club didn't really help with the recruitment and all of that. But in the end, it was just not good enough. They got rid of him. But you're right. Maybe the, I was going to say the worst. It's not the worst because we need to give him a chance. But it's the fact that they replaced him by Jean-Louis Gasset. If you don't remember who Jean-Louis Gasset is, he's the Avery Coast head coach who got sacked halfway through the African Cup of Nations. So, which I believe is the first for a head coach to be sacked halfway through a World Cup, Euros, AFCON, Asian Cup, Copa America, Gold Cup, whatever you want. I don't know of any other who was sacked halfway through, but that was his case. And now, at yeah, the edge of... But the team did so well after he left. <laughs> yeah, as well. Because he laid the foundations, right? <laughs> well, that's probably what Marseille are thinking. He's 70 years old. He's this big character in French football. His dad created the Montpellier football team, football club. So he's been around the block for a long, long time in, in Paris, Bordeaux, Saint-Etienne. A lot of rivals club, by the way, to Marseille. But hey, he signed a short-term deal. And I think what also amused people, I mean, there's a few things. The reaction in Marseille has been priceless. Um, in L'Equipe this morning, they've, they've, they've asked a few fans outside the commanderie, the training ground, what do you make of Gasset's appointment? And one guy said, why did they bring... Joe Biden to our club, uh, <laughs> oh, which is, I know. Got the football world, however, more seriously, is shocked by the passing of Andreas Bremer, who passed away at 63 years old yesterday. Yeah, he was, he was unwell, but I think a lot of people don't remember him. I, I remember him as, as a player, uh, as a, obviously a phenomenal uh, left back, yeah. um, was part of, of Inter, sort of tremendous team that, that set a, a, a points record total in Serie A in the 1989-90 season uh, together with Lothar Mateus and Jurgen Klinsmann and then of course they went on and they won the World Cup yeah. with Germany which I enjoyed, enjoyed less because I was I was in Italy at the time but yeah that's another issue for me what sticks out to Bremen and I would say this to every single young footballer in the world Andreas Bremen was a pure two-footed player mm. he became a two-footed player. His father was a coach who just said, train your weaker foot. Young footballers out there, even adult footballers, listen to the guy who tells you to train your weaker foot. Yeah. He became so good that he famously, he scored free kicks in a game, one with his left foot, 
one with his right foot. He would take penalties with one foot. He would take free kicks with the other foot. The amazing thing is he was pretty much unplayable in it's kind of like that early sort of wingback role yeah. because you couldn't show him onto his weaker foot. He could cross the ball with either foot. And I, I never, I mean, you often, you always go on about footedness. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you go on about the left-footed center back, all this nonsense. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. If you're two-footed, I don't understand why, if he can learn it, I think other people can learn it. Yeah, you know, yeah honestly, you're like, absolutely right. I, you Wonderful can't defend player. it. No, you can't defend it. Wonderful player. He scored, obviously, the, the penalty, the only goal in that World Cup final 1990 against Maradona and Argentina. After Jürgen's dive. Sorry, Jürgen, but know, let's call it dive. Spade, yeah. But I just love this, the little like, kind of inside story of that penalty because Lothar Mateus is the one who was taking penalties for Germany at the time. It turned out that he could not play with his favourite boots in the second half of that final because they were just too damaged. So the Adidas guy within Germany gave him this brand new pair of boots and he didn't feel comfortable in them in that second half, didn't feel good. So when the penalty happened, he said to Bremer, listen, I don't feel good with those shoes. I know how good you are taking penalties. You take this one. Otherwise, Mateus would have taken it. Bremer took it. Scores against Goicochea, one of the best goalkeepers on penalties in history of the game. So, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the little story as well of Andreas Bremer. No, a, a tremendous character yeah. in Thoskot to his family. Now, this was way back on Monday night, but Girona lost away to Athletic Bilbao 3-2. Jules is now one win out of five in all competitions, and they're six points back. Mm which means they're closer to fifth place than they are to league leaders Real Madrid. Is it all over? Yeah, I think it is. Unfortunately for La Liga fans, who would have loved the very competitive end of the season. I don't think anybody would be able to catch Real Madrid. And for Girona, I mean, I think they must look behind their back, though, and behind themselves, because it's not just Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, of course. There's also Athletic Club de Bilbao, who are just behind Atletico Madrid, just yeah. two points in fifth place behind them. And I think between them three, for for the, the between them four, sorry, for the three remaining positions to qualify for the Champions League, unless Spain and right now they have the fifth place going into the Champions League next season. No, they don't. No, so, they don't. No, they don't because it's Italy, Italy and Germany. Germany. Yeah. So those four clubs for three positions if they only have four to go into the Champions League next season, I think that would be an interesting battle. And I think if Paris Saint-Germain knock Real Sociedad out of the Champions League, I think yeah. they're capable of going on a run yeah, as well. Yeah, true. That's true. Daniel Alves has been sentenced this morning, on Thursday morning, to four and a half years in prison after found guilty of rape in a nightclub toilet on New Year's Eve 2022. Gab, what do you make of it? I mean, we have to say as well that he can still appeal, his lawyers can still appeal, and yep. so are... Uh, the defendant lawyers too so it might not be the end of this story no I mean like, I think we're talking about a retired footballer uh, either way at this stage um, you want you want justice if the evidence shows that this is what it is it is what it is yeah. and you're glad that that certainly having money and fame um, means that you're still treated equally under the law from from what I read in the accounts um, what really hurt him and part of the reason he was convicted was that he initially said he didn't know the woman who accused him. Yeah. And then later he said the sex was consensual. Yeah. Now, how do you, I don't see how you can possibly justify that in your statements to police. And, and I think that is a big part of the reason why, um, why things ended up the way he did. Uh, you just hope, I just hope that the victim in this yeah. you know, finds some, some solace and, and some serenity after what must have been a horrendous experience. 
Kenyon Lee flew all the way to London. Okay, flew all the way to London from yeah. Paris. It's not that far. Yeah, he might have even took this, taken the train even. You would think he's not rich enough to afford a private flight like your muddy Hugo Lloris, <laughs> yeah? He, I bet Kenyon Lee loves the environment. He wouldn't do that. Anyway, he came all the way to London uh, to apologize in person to Hong Min Song. Jules, I absolutely love this story. Yeah, so we touched a little bit upon it when you were away, Gab, but it's worth, I think, reminding everybody. And I think it gives you a really good insight within the culture in, in South Korea, in Japan, the respect for elders, and et cetera, et cetera, because this all happened while they were at the Asian Cup together with South Korea. And one evening at dinner, it seems like the younger, some younger players in the squad left the dinner early, the team dinner early, to go and play table tennis, which Hang Min Sun and some senior, more ancient players didn't appreciate. So they told them off. Then there was a bit of a tension there. And apparently, Kang In Lee even tried to, I don't know, punch or slap. Or, he hurt his finger, I think, was the yeah, uh, he hurt Hong Min Son's finger. Try, try, yeah, something like that happened. Clearly physical between Son yeah. and Lee. Uh, after what? Kang In Lee apologized and, and, and felt like was uh, ashamed by his, his behavior, let's put it that way. So they met to clear the air. Hung Min Son then put a statement out on social media saying, I've forgiven him. He's a young player. He can, but really in, going into really detail, <laughs> yeah. didn't it? About everything that happened and what, and what that means for the South Korean national team. All of that. I just loved it. I just love that respect uh, and that senior, seniority is so important. Yeah, look, I don't. I, I'm not a fan of seniority, but I'm more a fan of respect. Hong Min Son, yeah. like, I don't know him personally, but we both know people who know him very, very yeah. well. I just can't imagine him being the senior bully who tells people off. I can't see him Definitely getting not. angry and kind of, you know, playing a Roy Keane role in the dressing room, even at Spurs, where, where I think he occasionally captains a team, right? No, he uh, does now. He's or the, he captains uh, a team. Captain, so yeah. for him... For this to happen, it's like you're not just picking on the old guy. You're picking on the old respect guy you should be respecting. Yeah. Being the old guy who's not a bully, who's a nice guy. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really bad. Uh, I hope, Kenyon Lee, I hope you can achieve, you know, one twentieth of what Hong Min Son has achieved in your career, in his career. And, and I love the fact that he had the cojones to go and apply. He didn't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. He did not need to do that. No. He could sit in Paris and, you know, take selfies with Mbappe, at least for the time being, and then, and then move on. Yeah. By the way, do you appreciate that I didn't ask you about Mbappe on the show? No, I thought you would. I think it's a good question. Where are we in the negotiation with Real Madrid, you know, and I would have happily answered you. But instead, <laughs> you'll just have to wait until he finally freaking signs. <laughs> or doesn't. Or doesn't. The German Football League has decided not to sell a stake of their medium rights to outside investors, despite the majority of clubs voting in favour of doing so. Gab, what does this mean? We reminded everybody in the previous shows when you were not here about all the protests, the little remote-controlled yeah. cars, the tennis balls, all of that. I think what this means is that even though the clubs, a majority of the clubs were in favour, uh, they realised that this is about your audience. This is about yeah. your customers, if you want to put it purely in business terms. This is how angry they are about it. Um, I think there's also a valid point to say that, did they even really need this? Uh, and, and the reason I say this is, I'm sure you explained how it works, but like these groups, like, like CVC, what they do is they give you a ton of money up front in exchange for percentage share in the future, and you're supposed to take that money investing your stadiums in yep. your infrastructure and so on so that you will make more money in the future i think the reality here is that stadiums and infrastructure are already pretty darn good 
in Germany. Yeah, yeah. And people just didn't understand why is this needed? Um, I'm glad they listened to the fans. I, I'm not taking a point, but I think we've had enough of owners not realizing that fans, yeah, they're customers, first and foremost, and you need to respect mm -hmm. that, but they're also stakeholders. Yeah. It's official. Oliver Glasner has taken over as Crystal Palace manager from Roy Hodgson, who stepped down in part for health reasons. Jules, on Monday they drew 1-1 with Everton and are five points uh, from safety. Do you like this appointment? I like Oliver Glasner, to be fair. I liked him when he was at Wolfsburg and qualified them for the Champions League. I liked him with Frankfurt, especially when they won the, uh, the Europa League. I'll, he's, a, he's an Austrian, I think, um, quite... Uh, moved it into the RB kind of philosophy, if you want, in terms of intensity. I think that Ralph Rangnick had, a, had a, quite a big influence over him. But I think... People he, think Ralph Rangnick is a dope in England, so I don't know. You want to, yeah, want to say but that still, quietly. You know, good, good part of Ralph Rangnick, let's put it that way. So I like it. I've, we've said many, many times before, we are nothing against Roy Hodgson. I just didn't think he... He should have got this year mm. currently in the season. I thought last summer, after he kept them up, replacing Patrick Vieira, they should have moved on to someone with a with a proper philosophy for the for the midterm, if you want, not Roy Hodgson. I think they've got that with Glasner now. I hope they back him up in the transfer window because this is a squad that needs reinforcement or needs some investment, letting players go and, and signing some new ones. But I th I think he can work really well in the Premier League. Yeah, and obviously. First of all, you want Roy Hodgson's health. You want him to be happy and yeah, healthy for as long as he can be. I think it's an interesting one. I think they went into this season thinking, all right, this is going to be a transition because let's face it, we have these three clubs that have just been promoted um, and we're safe no matter, what, no matter what happens this season. So we can kind of have this as like Roy Hodgson's kind of farewell, farewell tour. Yeah. Um, you know, our star players, Eze and Michael Elise, you know, we have them for another year. We're not going to go down because let's face it, Sheffield United are imploding and, and have no money um, because Luton Town, you know, are like the, the, the size of a thumbtack. So they'll definitely go down. Everton will get a penalty. Burnley, we expect to be bad. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure all these thoughts went through their heads. Yeah. There's no way. Now they find themselves, yeah, you know, I mean, they have they have a cushion yeah, they there. Have five base, not but, much, but yeah. yeah, Luton are like those those like nasty rabid dogs with a bone that don't go away. Yeah. Uh, Everton, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, they might get another points penalty. They might get some points back. You know, you're not in a comfort situation. So I think in some ways, it made sense for Glasner to come in, even if they're fine. He can adapt to the league, and then they can retrench next year either with Olisa and Eze, or if they sell them, they'll have the funds to reinvest yeah. in the squad. Back to Brantford Gab, club owner Matthew Benham has, a hi has hired sorry, an outside advisor to explore the possibility of selling all or part of the club. Reportedly, the valuation is as high as £500 million. Okay, so when I first read about this, I read about this in a mid-market tabloid newspaper, and they said it was £400 million. Then I read this in the Times, a very well-sourced story. They're saying they want... 500 million yeah. and I'm thinking what planet do these people live on and the reason I say this is that and I'm not dissing Brentford it's been fantastic what they've done they've built a fantastic little stadium and everything but there's a reason Matthew Benham's not a dumb guy he built that stadium to be a what is it 24,000 yeah, 20, seat, yeah. seat, seat stadium you know you pass it when you come in from Heathrow Airport to central London for a reason this is Brentford's fan base 
they're not going to grow. No. They've got Chelsea and Fulham and QPR on their doorstep. Yeah. They're not going to turn into kind of the West London version of, of, of Tottenham or Arsenal, right? So to think that you should be paying $500 million, uh, I think is really absurd. This is not the dimension of the club. So he's right. being smart. He comes from a background in, 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 in betting. And, and finance, so yeah. that's what he's doing. Yeah. The other factor is Brentford without Matthew Benham and the people who are there who've decided to operate the club in a certain way based on analytics, thinking for themselves, making unusual choices and having tremendous success with it, is frankly worthless. Because unless you sell all of Benham's people along with the club, which I'm pretty sure you can't do because I'm fairly certain that they're not slaves yeah. and not attached to, uh, uh, to a stadium, you're going to have to start from scratch with a little teeny tiny stadium, with a little teeny tiny fan base. Mm -hmm without that institutional know-how that he brings. So maybe he's looking for outside investment. We've been there before. They've been talking about him selling two, three years ago. Um, I think he turned down 250 or something at the time that was reported, something like that. Uh, yeah, good for him asking for 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, my most likely scenario is he gets some outside investment. But like, if I had the money, I would come in, I would give him How, what, what do you million. think is the value of Brentford then? It depends, with Benham or without Benham. Yeah. You know, I, I, what I would do is I would come in and say, hey, Benham, here's $100 million. Give me a slice of the club. I don't know. Give me 25%, 30% of the club, 35% of the club, whatever. I try to negotiate up. He'd probably negotiate me down because he's a better negotiator than I am. And I would say, but you have to commit to staying and you have to get all your nerds who go and do all this <laughs> stuff. You all have to stay. Thomas Frank, I think, is kind of a weirdo, but at Brentford... He's he's like a he's yeah. like a, he's the clop of Brentford. Continue doing that. Continue doing that, and then we can talk. Yeah. But this is a typical example, I think, of a club where you know, without the found not the he's not the founder of the club, but he's the founder of this version of Brentford. Yeah, yeah. Without him and his people, is is not worth anywhere like that. Um, and I, I hate this, and I don't say it in a negative way. I say it in a positive way. Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder has been fined £11,500 <laughs> after confronting the referee following his team's 3-2 defeat against Crystal Palace. He was particularly offended that one of the assistant match officials was eating a sandwich at the time, and he ranted and raved, saying he was disrespectful afterwards on local radio. Yeah, I mean, I mean the fine, £11,000, there's no point. We've said that even before for more expensive fines. This is nothing for Chris Wilder and how much money he's earning. It's nothing for a football club. Just don't do the fine. I know. I, know, I was actually thinking about principle. this. What, how much what? money do you think Chris Wilder made? No, but, but, but I, I think this is a week's wages after tax for Chris Wilder. Mm, I'm yeah, guessing. maybe even less than that. But even yeah. I don't know whoever said the fine from the Premier League. But what did they think? Okay, we're talking about sandwich here. We can't go too high. Can't go too low. How do you end up with eleven? thousand five hundred pound of a fine it's this is ridiculous <laughs> what's uh, the algorithm yeah exactly who decided well, that i don't know also uh, i'm not sure that the assistant uh match officials eating sandwiches had any impact on the game whatsoever and on his team performances uh yeah. also please realize a little bit a modicum of respect if you go after the match, it's not like he was eating a sandwich while during the game yeah. right this yeah. is afterwards right? you know, scrolling you go on to social them, media on his phone Sorry? It's not like if he was eating a sandwich going on social media on his phone while the game was happening. Yeah, so if you go afterwards to go and shout at the referee, in presumably in the referee's dressing room or, or well, somewhere yeah, in the yeah. stadium, what do you expect them to be doing? The man's having a snack. The assistant is having a snack. Be grateful that they give you the courtesy 
of speaking of listening to you rant when you know the referee doesn't have a time machine he can't go back in time you're just getting things off your chest because you're feisty or whatever and then to go and blab about it to the media afterwards which is the real reason he got fined yeah. no this is not acceptable and no I'm not picking on Chris Wilder and Sheffield United because it's a little club because if you pay attention Jose Mourinho who is a million orders of magnitude bigger and more important than Chris Wilder we've had to go at him when he's done stupid things like this too what happens so Gino Dest is lamenting the fact that the Copa America is being held in the United States this summer comparing to playing the Euros in Africa and saying that it was about money not football Mm, interesting, Serginio. All right, you ready to troll me here? <laughs> okay, so first of all, Mr. Dest. Uh, one of your favorite players. We oh, yes, one of my absolute favorites. First of all, it's about money, not football. Uh, gee, well, what do you think? Um, you know, you know when you were at Barcelona and you sucked and you went to <laughs> Milan? Did you say, oh, it's about football? So look, uh, rather than holding up the negotiation, to see, because Milan obviously didn't want to pay his enormous wages, they only want to pay a chunk of it. Uh, it's not about football. It's about football. It's not about money. Let me take less. You're a freaking professional football. You literally play for money that's that's number one right uh number two yes it's called the Copa america but guess what it's not just the Copa america where only the south american teams play in it it's a Copa america where there are the 10 south american teams and there's six teams from concacaf are in it not just that they're having a whole tournament playoff system to find out who can qualify for it right uh, so that they can have a proper 16-team tournament. You should probably know this since I believe you play for the United yeah, States, exactly. right? This is the country you represent internationally. Yeah. You might have read up. I know you grew up in, in, in Holland, but you might actually want to read up on this since this is the country that, that you represent, and this is the country for whom you will be playing a, home, a World Cup on home soil, assuming Greg Berhalter or whoever's in charge in 2026 calls you. Yeah. So you might want to know about all this. This business with money, yeah. Guess what? All these little, small, crappy confederations, um, by the way, like the one of your ancestry that you do not represent uh, because you've chosen to uh, not to, um, they rely on this money. They rely on tournaments and FIFA and international tournaments, international football, to pay the bills, to keep the lights on, to do youth development, to do women's football, right? And if you have a tournament in the United States and Mexico, it's going to make a lot more money than if you have it in Chile or Paraguay. It's just a fact. Do you think he doesn't want to play the Copa America? What's his problem? Really? I, I, I think well, I, look, he wants to summer off. What does he want? Maybe it was a throwaway comment. He didn't think through. I, 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 maybe he doesn't know everything, in which case I'm, hey, I'm happy to, to share the facts with you. Go, go do your own research, as, as people like you like to say. I, 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 I don't get it. It's um, really strange. It's such it's a weird thing. Playing the Euros in Africa. I know. It's called the Copa America. It's really North America and South <laughs> America. I mean, come on. <laughs> so silly. All right, sad day. Um, another um, passing to report of, of, of one of the greats, uh, former manager and player, I believe, Arthur George. Player, yeah, Arthur George. It was well before my time. Yeah, yeah, former player. He was a lovely player. Then he coached uh, Porto. He coached PSG, of course. He coached the Portugal national team. He was a wonderful man. He, coached he won the Champions League or the European Club with Porto, no? Yeah, right with in 87. Raba Majer against Bayern Munich the back in the heel. final the back heel etc you're right where he won the title in without Qatari money without Qatari money as well he sold my youth Arthur George because he worked 
I'm at Harassing with my dad in the 80s, uh, where in late 80s, when my dad worked at the club as well, and I, we used to go and see him all the time and see Arthur George, who was lovely with a big moustache. Then he moved to PSG as well, where, which was really our club, and he was so successful. So it's all my youth, and he was 78. Great servant to football in general, such a smart, smart, cultivated man. It's a real sad day for Portuguese football in general, for Paris football as well, for what he did in Amatra Racing and PSG. Um, yeah, it's those kind of, when you know it's, it's going to happen at some point, obviously, but you're still very sad when it does. I love the fact that he's that rare figure who can coach more than one club in the same city. Yeah. And, and be loved by both sets of fans. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. One for you, Gabby. We know that Chelsea and Todd Burley love signing players or members of staff from Brighton. They did another one. Sam Jewell, who was the head of recruitment at Brighton, is now the head of recruitment at Chelsea. This is the 11th person coming from Brighton to Chelsea in the last 17 months. I love these titles, too. because like, So what is Lawrence Stewart and Paul know, Stanley? What do they I'm, do? But yes, it's 11 people have moved over. Um, and since uh, producer Freddie lovingly printed out a list, oh. I will quickly go through it. Graham Potter, Billy Reed, Bjorn Hamburg, Bruno Salter, Ben Roberts, Kyle McCauley, Paul Winstanley, Robert Sanchez, Marco Correa, Moises Casado, and now Sam Jewell. Um, that's a lot. a lot. That is yeah. a lot. It's a lot. Like it's a bit of a gimmick because obviously I think six of these guys, the first six names I read, it was Graham Potter and his staff. Yeah. Um, Paul Winstanley obviously came on to do the recruitment. I have no idea if he's Sam Jewell's boss or if Sam Jewell is his boss. It must I, be, I presume yeah. he's Sam Jewell's yeah, boss, right? This is a guy bringing in a dude who's worked with before. Robert Sanchez, Kukureya, Caicedo, by the way, I got to say, like, I'm not going to write Caicedo off at this stage, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look. Uh, Sam Jewell, son of Paul Jewell as well, the former. The former Derby manager. Bradford, <laughs> we're getting a little yeah, Bradford, bit. maybe? Wigan? Wigan manager? Wigan, yes. Yeah, Wigan right. under yeah. Dave Whelan. Wow, yeah, we're going Paul way Jewell. back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul Jewell. All right, I, I got to leave it there. But you can go and do some Googling on him and, uh, and, and, and see, what's, see what's up with him. But yeah, good luck to Sam Joel. Inter-Miami began their MLS campaign with a 2-0 win over El Salt Lake. Messi played 90 minutes. Jules, you yeah. stayed up late that night for most of it. Yeah. He also found time to release a video explaining why he didn't play in that Hong Kong friendly earlier this month. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about the Hong Kong video. Uh, I, I didn't Because I didn't think that there was a need for it. I don't really understand why well, he That's what we're the talking need. about. I don't care about his win over El Salt Lake. I'm just happy he's fit and he played Yeah, but I thought he looked really sharp. This was good. Luis Suarez, of course, started to like Jordi Alba uh, and Sergi Busquets and they played well I was a bit disappointed by Real Salt Lake I won't lie but really good I, lovely Diego Gomez goal too it was it, there was a lot of good things coming from into Miami in that game I mean I th I'm going to talk about the video because I thought it was really interesting that he felt the need to explain himself the club why, why do you think he did I can only think that there are sponsors involved, that there's people right. who've asked them to do it, and he's like, all right, I'll be a team player. What does it cost me to, to, to tape a 30-second video and, and say like what I already said, which is, dude, yeah, I was injured. He was injured. It's no, preseason. I'm injured. I'm not going to take chances, right? Yeah. But I, it was just an unusual gesture. You know, yeah, you yeah, think true, of, true. You don't see that often. We, we think of these people so removed, so rich, and not needing to do that. Yeah. That's true. Kanye West was in attendance when Inter Milan beat Atletico Madrid 1-0 on Tuesday in the Champions League. Gabi recruited Inter Ultras to act as backup singers on one of his songs for his new album. And it's not the first time that he turns up there as well at the San Siro. How do you feel about 
Inter's new celebrity super fan. And what did you make of the mask? Because obviously he was there, but you could not see him because he had a, like, like a full, yeah, like it's a the full same stupid mask. mask. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's the mask he wore with Alex Jones on, on Infowars. Yeah. Uh, it's a company you keep, I guess. Uh, look, I didn't like the guy before and I certainly do not like him now. I like him even less now. I, I find him incredibly distasteful. I find him to be an apt, and I don't say this, I'm not a Swifty either, but I also think his behavior towards Taylor Swift, keeping, you know, this thing's still going, something happened at the Super Bowl, he bought the seats in front. It's just so unnecessarily publicity whore. We're giving this guy way too much attention. I'm glad the Inter Ultras, uh, whatever, they can do what they like. I think they were stupid to go and agree to be part of this. I'm glad they won't be performing at his concert after first announcing it. Maybe they Google Kanye West, found out more about him. Maybe they just don't like his music. Uh, enough. I, I hope we don't have to mention him on the show ever again. Maybe the best thing about all of this, Gab, is that Milan, AC Milan, as in the you know mm-hmm. Inter's rivals, uh, released their trolling video of the Kanye West turning up at Inter San Siro, uh, which is pretty amazing if you haven't seen it yet, because there are people with the full mask like Kanye, so you don't see the faces, and they just they just have the name on the screen: Dua Lipa, Tom Cruise, Will Smith, and Gerard Depardieu. The, the tro- trolling is very strong. Today. By the way, of those four people who you just mentioned, I'll leave people to wonder. Right? Uh, there are two who I like very, very much. Okay. There's one who I like, although I've got serious questions about his behavior, and there's one who. I think was talented, but obviously isn't very popular in Germany with good reason. So it's an interesting mix there. I wonder. Yeah. The, I wonder who chose those four. Also, I wonder which of the four do they get to play? You know, people would ask. Would ask now. Who you can are go. The two you can favorite? go ahead. You can go ahead and speculate all you like. Okay. I'd love to meet the real life person who impersonated Depardieu. I'm imagining. Yeah, I mean, they did the nose really well. (laughs) You can see from the mask. (laughs) All right, Jules, this brings us to an end, but we got to come back on Monday. Because there's so much going on this weekend. Plenty to talk about. Uh, Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself.